Welcome to Highball Politics, what America's bartenders are hearing. This podcast is a bar crawl around America to find out what real people around the country are saying about hot political issues and culture. I'm David Kochel, longtime political consultant and veteran of six presidential campaigns. And I'm Rob Stutzman, political consultant based in California, once worked for a governor named Schwarzenegger. But more than that, Kochel and I are best friends and have drank together in a lot of bars across this glorious country. More than I can count. That's right, Rob. Each week, we'll interview a bartender in a different U.S. city and state to find out what people there really care about when it comes to politics and culture. Why bartenders? Because bartenders have the pulse of their patrons, and therefore, the pulse of America, real America. When Kochel and I fly into a city to work, and we want to know what's on people's minds about politics, culture, and pocketbooks, we do the only sensible thing and find a bartender. And to kick things off, we'll find out what drink the locals are ordering, get the recipe, and knock back a few while we chat with our guest. You can find the recipe for each week's cocktail in the show notes. And I can tell you, some of these will be amazing. If you decide to make this week's signature cocktail at home, please share a pic on Instagram or tweet about it with the hashtag HighballPodcast. And if you're a bartender or you'd like to nominate your favorite bartender to be on our podcast, please email us at HighballPolitics at gmail.com with the name of the bartender in the bar and why they be perfect for our show. Today, we're talking with Marco Argiro, who bartends at the Blue Room in Nashville, Tennessee. But before we bring in Marco, let's set a little bit of context about what's going on in Nashville and why the country's eyes, if not the world's, has been set upon it the past two weeks. Yeah, Rob, this is going to be a little bit of a different episode, I think, for us. And we're talking to someone I think is going to have a really interesting perspective on what's been going on there. Obviously, with the school shooting at the Covenant School a couple of weeks ago, and then with the protests that created this spectacle in the legislative chamber, two young black lawmakers expelled from the Tennessee House, uh, and Vice President Kamala Harris flying in, giving a speech. There's a lot going on right now in this community that is being discussed all over the country, and so I'm kind of looking forward to getting into it. But it's important to also remember Tennessee is a very red state. Donald Trump got over 60% of the vote, won by 23 points in 2020. You have a supermajority of Republicans in the legislature, and they're winning re-election. So this is a city, a very blue city, and a bar located in a creative community that is politically, I think, at odds with what the overall sentiment is in the state. So um, it'll be interesting to see whether we can kind of draw out any of the conversation here to to get some common understanding. And I know at a time like this, with the shooting that just happened in Louisville as well, you know, emotions are are running high. And I hate the idea that we just retreat to our corners and, and go to talking points. So um, one of the things I like about doing the show with you, Rob, is you know, we get to maybe have a little deeper dive. We get to talk about people, real people in real places and, and what they're up against, what they're doing, what they're saying, and all of that. So I'm looking forward to getting into yeah, I think our hope today is uh, is this is more somber than our, our normal type of episode, rightfully so, is that you're going to hear Marco reflect back a bit what's it like to live there right now and be part of that community. And yes, the perspective is going to be the blue dot and the Red Sea, Nashville and Memphis, mm-hmm. the two Democrat strongholds in the state that otherwise is overwhelmingly Republican, and a state that finds itself in the predictable culture war that we see everywhere else in the country. Um, you'll hear a reference in this episode to the legislation recently signed by Governor Bill Lee to ban drag shows in public places, which is almost just out of a South Park episode or an SNL sketch. It's all so predictable, no matter what you think of these issues. Well, let's get to it. Let's get Marco going.
We want to welcome the highball politics, Marco Argiro from the Blue Room in Nashville, Tennessee. Marco, thanks for being aboard today. Happy to be here. So tell us about the Blue Room, kind of where it's located in Nashville, you know, what it's all about, because there's actually a great story here. Yeah, it's uh, it's in the Pie Town area of Nashville, which is just on the outskirts of downtown. So just outside of all the hoopla downtown Nashville, but it's near uh, City Winery and the Nashville Mission and exactly at uh, 623 7th Avenue South. So Marco, tell us a little bit about the place itself. Tell us about the atmosphere, the price point. It's got a very interesting location where it's co-located with a famous record label. Give us details on all that. Yeah, it's open to the public weekly, every Thursday, Friday, Saturday evening. A lot of craft cocktails. It's a a lot of local neighborhood brews, fat belly pretzels we serve as well as like snacks. The lounge is kind of a dreamlike cornerless blue space. It was a former photo studio as well. A lot of people also think it looks like a, a skate ramp, like you can skate up the side because of the way that the walls are curved, you know. But it's mm-hmm. uh, it's got a lush outdoor patio and a vintage photo booth and they have live music and trivia and dance parties and DJs, art exhibitions, film screenings. Back in the day when Third Band first opened, there was just mainly specialty concerts happening there, pop-up shows, ticketed events, and then, of course, they were filming videos for a lot of the artists at Third Band. But now, it's a little over a year they've been celebrating being open to the public. So it's an actual cocktail bar, not just always concerts. It's a multifaceted venue. That sounds great, but I did see, Marco, on the menu, you have uh, canned wine. I was telling Rob earlier, the only time canned wine is appropriate is on the golf course or the beach. So... I don't know. What what do you have to say for yourself? I mean, that? all the bars that I've been working at in the last couple of years have been implementing canned wine. And at first it was kind of like a taboo, you know, box wine, the same thing. But, you know, now there's great box wine, too, and you can't dog it, man. You got to try it. And it's <laughs> a lot easier to not spill a can of wine versus like a bougie glass out in a nice venue like this. As the Californian and the, well, Cotto's a huge wine enthusiast, too, but I feel like throwing a flag. However, you're right. These products have gotten much better in quality. And I love that it just brings a different accessibility of wine to the market. So. I pick up Cotchell's flag and say no foul. As long as we got people drinking wine, but... it's fresh every time too. You know what I mean? Like people buy it, you don't have to like open a cork and then like let it go bad and waste it. It's less wasteful. You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, actually, a twelve ounce serving would be more handy more often than not, probably for me. That's not... There you go. <laughs> um, all right, I, you've turned me around. It was worth making him defend himself, Cotchell. By the way, it's it a good defense. All right, but before we depart from what's served there in the in the bar, a lot of great cocktails are on the menu there, but you have a specific one picked out to tell us about today. Yeah, the long way. It's uh, featured on the new spring cocktail menu. A legal mezcal, it's two ounces of that, an ounce of fresh squeezed lime juice, an ounce of agave syrup, and then a uh, half ounce of pomegranate juice, shaken, chilled, and strained, served in a rocks glass with the lime wheel. So basically a play on a Mezcal margarita, but with pomegranate, and it's quite nice. So it's got that smoky tone coming from the mezcal. I tell you what, I love a mezcal cocktail. It's such an interesting spin on, you know, kind of away from tequila. Just Me too. Me too. Yeah, I'm, I'm into it. Like on a personal note, I drink mezcal in place of a lot of the other spirits. Mezcal Negroni, mezcal Old Fashioned. Yeah. You know, I'm right there with you, boys. That sounds awesome. I think I'll be making one of those up as soon as I get home because we're traveling this week. Tell us now, Marco, about your patrons, what kind of jobs they're doing, where are they coming from? They live in the neighborhood there. Just uh, set the scene for us. Who's coming into your bar every weekend? 
I'd say it's a, a healthy mix of local artists and musicians, a lot of musicians supporting other musicians and other artists supporting other artists, a lot of actual locals, a lot of real Tennesseans, but then a good mix of tourists because Stern Man, even long before it was open to the public for the Blue Room side, attached to the headquarters there, there's a store called, you know, the Third Man Record Store and audience and whatnot. So people visit from all over the world, all over the country, all over the world, just to kind of see what, you know, what they've created over here in Tennessee and Nashville. People from all over the world coming that are fans of the White Stripes, fans of Jack White, fans of all the bands on Third Man and and what they've built over there. It's pretty beautiful space. There's really no other place quite like it that I've been to. It's an inclusive place. It's in an open place. It's got the vibe for sure. It's really well designed, really well curated. The sound is top notch. The service mm -hmm. is top notch, you know? So people just truly come in there in awe and most times have oftentimes have a lot of questions, you know, about there's some taxidermy, there's a giant elephant and everyone's, is that real? Is that, oh my God, are those tusks real? You know, and that was from American Pickers. So Jack acquired that from American Pickers show here. But yeah, all, people from all over the place. And I'd say like the clientele oftentimes uh, are going to be a lot more liberal minded people, but yeah, you know, but there's fans of music that have different political beliefs too. And they're also welcome. Sure. So what a fascinating, unique place. The common theme that we may not find in most of the bars with bartenders we've talked to is people are convening here over art and wanting to create and wanting to support one another. And then the tourists that are drawn in are drawn typically because of the art that hasn't come from those associated with the bar and the studio next door. Do you think that just sets a different type of basis and starting point when people are organizing around that premise more than just, hey, it's, you know, it's five o'clock and I need a beer before I go home. No, they're coming with purpose. Like they're coming there because they want to see a piece of third man. They're not always even just there because they, they check the schedule. They're just showing up because it happened to fit with their plans visiting Nashville and they work that into their plans. And then oftentimes they're pleasantly surprised by the scheduling and the programming. So they'll discover their new favorite band. They'll discover a new record or meet some nice new people and strike up conversation. It's people meeting people and like I said, like discovering something new. The programming's really well done there. The locals, they're they're in the industry primarily, you were saying. So they're chasing dreams with one another. They're pulling for one another. Very positive energy, I would think. Hundred percent. A lot of talent in this town and you know we're predominantly known music city for country, but we have so much more to offer. Rock and roll, indie, jazz, funk, yeah. you know, all of it. You know, it's all there. It's genre fluid, if you will. <laughs> you know, there are thousands of venues around the country, but very few have access to the kind of marketplace of talent that you do. Maybe LA, you know, maybe a few other places, but boy, I, I got to think even putting names on the marquee that nobody's ever heard before, you're probably getting some of the best quality writing and performing that you'd see anywhere. Cause these are people who are there for this reason to kind of make it. It's an embarrassment of riches, I think, that you're working with there in terms of who's around you that you can put on the bill each night. Yeah, it's hands down the best bar job I've ever had. I'm a fan of the label. I'm a fan of their mantra, everything that they're doing there. And then just to show up, you know, clock in, start setting up the bar. And sometimes I don't even check the schedule. I just show up and then it's kind of like roulette of what's going to be happening. And I'm blown away night after night with the programming that they're doing there. And I'm very fortunate because 
I'll be making drinks and I'm seeing one of my favorite bands, you know, or, or somebody mm-hmm. I've never heard of. And they're extraordinarily talented and you never know who's going to show up. There's like blending of bands, people, special guests that just pop in, people from that third man world and that whole orbit. So you never really know what you're going to see there. And they do magic shows and they do trivia night and they do art installations and recently just raised a lot of money for abortion care here in Nashville, which was a big deal. And they actually had a drag show happen and it was phenomenal just the other night. And it's nothing like what other media outlets and stuff are pushing that narrative. It was super happy and positive and everybody was just like united. And it was really nice to see people smiling and having a laugh after such a hard two weeks that we've had here in Tennessee and a roller coaster. Let's talk about those two weeks, Marco. It has been an extraordinary, it's you just, I'll use your words, the roller coaster for this city, this community. It's just over two weeks ago now that we had the mass shooting at Covenant School. That created a huge reaction as the city grieved. The rest of the country, of course, slots into their political reactions to it. And then on the heels of that is the political reaction there in your state capitol, where two of your local representatives led a protest on the floor of the lower chamber there in the state legislature. The Republican majorities expelled them. They are now being reinstated by the National Council. Some of that reflects National and Memphis being the blue dots in this big red state. Your local representatives, and as you've talked about there, your patrons tend to be more liberal. Just walk us through what it has felt like for you as someone local to live through all that. And then just what is the collective reflection of the people coming through the doors and your coworkers to all this the last couple of weeks? I mean, we've been living through it for quite some time now. It's not just these two weeks. Sadly, it seems to be this reoccurring thing every month, every year. There's always something new happening. And it's just really frustrating that when you're dealing with children, it seems to me like there needs to be some changes and everybody can agree that, you know, whether it's background checks or red flag laws and whatnot, things, something needs to give. And everybody's just tired of hearing the same old rhetoric with, you know, thoughts and prayers and, and whatnot. And it's just not doing anything, you know, it's sad and infuriating and, and it causes people to feel hopeless and helpless and like their voices aren't being heard. And, you know, when it happened right here, just down the road at the Covenant School, it's just like, it's right on our back door, you know, and you see it all the time and it, It never gets any easier and it's scary for parents and friends and family. It's devastating. So something needs to give, something needs to happen and not the same old bullshit that they give us every single time. It's like, make some changes. So the shooting was on a Monday. You were opening into the public on Thursday? Probably, yeah, Thursday. Just how was that evening different, if at all? I mean, everybody's collectively pretty numb. Everybody's wiping tears still like every time it comes up people are it's hard they get choked up and emotional and it's just really really sad but also extraordinarily frustrating and a lot of people are in nothing's ever going to change kind of mentality but i'll tell you the youth and what we're seeing through our bar and what we're seeing through the community i think the establishment is scared of the power that the kids have and the youth because they're organizing and they're getting together and they're using their voices collectively. And that in itself is a silver lining. It's a positive thing that we're seeing in real time. You know, down at the Capitol, I wasn't able to go down there and protest, but everyone I know, every 
parents I know, every friend I know, all my coworkers from Third Man and Blue Room, from Mirror Mirror, everybody was there. Seeing all our friends and coworkers out there with their children protesting, it was pretty special to see. And somebody posted a video actually, and a lot of the kids and their parents started a chant, not unlike a big soccer match where it used to, you'd hear Seven Nation Army from the White Stripes song from that elephant record. They were using that as like a battle cry at the protest. And I thought that was pretty special to hear. Jack White actually reshared that from his Instagram. And it's like, you know, that big chant, you know, it was so powerful. And, you know, of course, we're talking about the Blue Room Nashville and that's Jack White's headquarters. So pretty special. Thanks for telling us about that. Yeah, of course. A lot of frustration, but hope, hope because of people coming together. So you're sitting there in the middle of this creative community, a lot of young people, a lot of idealism, and that shows up at the Capitol in the form of Justin Pearson and Justin Jones, who are the two African-American legislators who were expelled. Yeah, I'm a Republican, Rob's a Republican. We certainly understand that you you have to have basic rules of order to run a legislative body, to run a courtroom, to run a hearing. But these are two young men who come out of a background of activism Mm-hmm. and of protest and of passion. And Republicans were doing everything they could to try to keep this from kind of getting out of control. And I think at a certain point, it just sort of bubbles over. And then you're on the well of the house floor with the bullhorn. And it leads to what I think was a huge, huge overstep by the GOP to kick these duly elected young men out of the legislative body. But at the same time, you know, there's a valid argument that you can't run a government if people don't participate within the rules. I mean, you're a protester on the outside, you've got your right to free speech, but when you're inside the body, is there some burden on these two young members to have tried to play within the rules? Or how do you balance some of that? I mean, I wasn't there, but from what I'm hearing, what I saw, I feel like they did try to have their voices heard and they were silenced and they weren't being called upon. And they're listening to these grieving parents, the constituents right there in real time. And so they needed to speak up and they felt like they would be doing a disservice to the parents if they didn't use the bullhorn, you know, the megaphone. And they finally got their voices heard and shared the message that the parents wanted to convey. Mm-hmm. which is we something needs to be done. And also, I think it was infuriating to a lot of the patrons, coworkers, et cetera, just knowing that they didn't kick out previous people, whether they were child abusers or there was a couple other claims that had happened that people right. weren't expelled, you know? So like right. a double st- double standard, you know? And that was yeah. pretty, pretty sick, you know? That they're just going to push these guys out because they just didn't want to deal with it. They didn't want to hear it. Well, and the racial overtones are unmistakable. Third legislator participated in the protests, a white woman who was not expelled. Yeah. It's rather obvious some of what was going on here. It's funny, I agree with Kochel. We often don't get into a whole lot of our opinions, but we just think this was alarming. Duly elected officials to be removed like this. It's also politically just seems so stupid. We've created martyrs. These two young men will now be famous and are raising money. Vice President Harris came to town, maybe one of her finest moments, which there haven't been probably too many, but she she gave a heck of a speech this week. What's the sense then of like the vice president coming to town and, you know, what is then being said on national cable news and what politicians nationally start talking about all these issues that are happening in your community and in your state. Is there a sense they're interlopers? Is there a sense that they're making important points? Just 
What's the feeling of that when the outsiders come in and all this becomes nationalized? Well, to your point, I would say that the GOP lacked foresight in what they were doing if they're playing the long game in some way. You know, the fact that they would do this, you're totally right. They have created martyrs and and these gentlemen. I don't know, as far as people coming in from out of town and stuff, I mean, it shows that the world and the country's watching and not to be distracted by other things that are being, you know, displayed in our eyes to see and kind of look away. You know, this is all really important stuff. This is really heavy stuff. And all of a sudden it's mm-hmm. like talking about Trump getting arrested or talking about freaking uh, a rainbow on a beer can and Kid Rock's in his backyard shooting it with the semi-automatic rifle. You know what I mean? It's just like, really? Like, there's some really important stuff happening. So stop getting distracted. Nobody cares about a Bud Light can. And it's always that. It's always like whatever. It doesn't matter what outlet. There's always going to be somebody trying to deter away from what's actually happening. And I think the fact that Kamala Harris and, and other people are coming to this town and talking about it, it means a lot regardless what side of the aisle you're on and that they care enough to show up and listen. Meanwhile, you know, I looked at the election results in Tennessee in 2020. Donald Trump gets over 60% of the vote, wins by 23-ish points. Clearly, it's a red state. And you're in a pretty bright blue dot in that red state. We've actually done several of these podcasts where that happens. But what I can't quite understand as a Republican and kind of looking at sort of how this was handled there were a thousand other ways to have handled this instead of just taking the bait. They take the bait and they're going to end up, you know, really sort of losing, not just people in Tennessee and young people kind of bothered by this, and creating a lot more activism because of it. You know, there are ways to turn the temperature down. One of the things we try to do on this podcast is have conversations that are at a lower temperature so that we can talk to each other. Yeah. And we don't have to agree on everything. I mean, Rob's wrong almost all the time. I'm right about the Dodgers over the Cubs, though. Yes, yes, you are. <laughs> Lately. Anyway, maybe talk to that. Like, what is it like being in a state that is a pretty solidly red state? And when you bring all of this emotion into it, is there a way to have conversations with each other when we can't agree on whether or not to ban an assault rifle, for example? You know, I moved down here six years ago from New York City. And I was in my comfortable bubble up there. And I was actually at first dragging my feet about moving to a red state. It quite frankly scared me. I would come here for various tours or recording sessions and whatnot, and I was hesitant. It felt uncomfortable to me, and then somebody framed it like, Marco, you're going to be able to do a lot more good if you come with your mindset and maybe your diplomatic ability or whatever to be able to have a conversation with somebody who shares different beliefs and find some common ground and actually just talk on a human level you know, without shouting at each other and just putting each other down. I mean, there's a time and a place for that, of course. You know, somebody says something extraordinarily fucked up, you know, I'm not going to like have it at that point. But at the end of the day, being in a public sector, like I am as a bartender and an artist, musician, it's finding that like middle ground that we you can actually like hear somebody out and then actually have an intelligent conversation regardless of the subject matter but when you're dealing with something like this where kids are afraid to go to school parents are afraid to send their kids to school and there's the argument of it being only mental health and it's not the guns and but it's just there's so much more to it and there needs to be some changes and that's it but i think just having a conversation like you and i are having like we all are having right now is really important you know i deal with it not even on this subject but other other subjects, you know, throughout the time, it's like, yes, I'm trying to make money too as a bartender. So like, I'm not going to alienate this guy because he shares a different belief than me, you know, unless if you're being an asshole, there's the door, buddy. You know what I mean? But 
for the most part, you have to be open. And I think I'd be a hypocrite if I, if I didn't listen, I don't want to be. So pretty liberal progressive part of the city that you're in. That's who's attracted to the, the bar. One thing we've been asking bartenders in these more urban settings is how do you think patrons are feeling about the president and whether or not he should run for re-election? Overall, collectively, most people probably sharing my mindset a little bit more are a little bit like it's been way more like hands off. It's boring. There's not all the talking points that are like going to get us all riled up. So it's kind of easy to go about your life, you know, and do your thing, do your business. And if it's not directly affecting you or agitating you to the point where you got to like, you know, like the last administration was doing, that was really, really pissing people off all the time. I think it, it just got back to politics being boring a little bit, if I'm being honest. That's, yeah, that's what it seems like, you know? So there's a comfort level with Joe Biden not being in your face all the time. Yeah. But what about age? It comes up on every podcast. And most Democrats, I think a plurality of Democrats would rather someone else run. Does that ever yeah. stop? Or what, what's sure. going on there? I don't know. I mean, I, I would say that in general, regardless of it being the president or anybody, just like age term limits, age limit, you know, like, they should kind of like change some of those things where maybe you don't need a 90 year old man in the press, you know, or you don't, you, 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 you know what I'm saying? Like, regardless of what, what side of it you're on, you know, I feel like there should be taken into consideration for sure. But obviously with age, you do have wisdom and you learn a lot and that you get to be this old man or woman. And then, uh, by the time you finally figured it all out, you croak, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> that sounds like you could turn that into a song. Yeah, uh, for sure. I'm on it. I'm on it. Get all that wisdom and then you croak. Okay. There we go. Yeah. Time. No book is out. Yeah, for sure. Always out. For course, this is Music City, Marco. So in Tennessee, especially in the wake of all this, is there anyone that's elected? Even being willing to be gracious to Republicans who you see maybe not demagoguing as much. Is there anyone that stands out as being a bit more thoughtful or someone that might want to convene? conversations to get to the root of the matter instead of just, yeah, we need mental health treatment or we just need the ban AKs or is there anyone that in all amongst your leadership who is fitting that role? Honestly, at the moment, not really coming to mind. I'm just, yeah. I've been so blasted with all of it and all the news and everything. I'm in a bit of disarray myself, to be honest. I need to yeah. take a step back and just like really look at some potential candidates and do some more research myself because I'm always willing to learn more and hear people out. So I don't have an exact candidate for you or an answer for you at this moment. Well, so unfortunately, that's not a surprising answer. I think cops will want to be hard-pressed to identify many politicians anywhere in the country that fit the description I was asking for. But sorry to hear that. It's, it's interesting in contrast, you know, this week on the heels of Nashville, there's been the tragedy in Louisville. Yeah. And you know, some of the similar circumstances of the mass shooting. It's all tragic and sad. Yeah, it's been interesting there to see the tone. A red state with a Democrat governor, and still a little bit more of a liberal city. You know, Democrats represent the city, but more of a moderate mayor, moderate member of Congress. It just has struck me how the tone's been a little different, a little more conciliatory, a little more community-focused, that they're all uh -huh, in this together. In the midst of the tragedy, it's just awful to think that we can only have uh, great leadership when the incentive structures of the parties are at bay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think people get caught up and focused on the wrong things in government and whether they have a bigger plan, you know, for why they're doing this, they're scared, they're projecting, 
you know, right before this covenant thing, the big thing was the drag ban and that was a big deal. And it's so stupid. I think the video that gets passed around on that was like, I think both sides of the aisle would agree it's not appropriate. Like the guy in his thong, like gyrating on a child or whatever, that's fucking ridiculous and should never have. I could agree that that's stupid, but that is not representative of like drag shows across the country or whatever. It's an art form and really shouldn't be infringed upon. My parents are Republican. My parents are like conservative and a lot of my friends, same kind of thing. And that's the talking point in the video that is being focused on rather than it being like a big picture kind of thing. So people are trying to make changes because they're scared. People are scared or they're, you know, secretly want to dress up, you know, and drag, you know what I'm saying? You know what I mean? And that's really when it comes down. I'm not trying to be funny. That's like the people who are afraid of that. How about just be a decent person, be a human being, be compassionate, not to get all at peace and love, but like for real, like like how hard is it to be a decent person and like let people love who they want to love and all it's, it's not that hard. If you don't want something like, then don't do your own thing. You you raise your family, you know that way. Uh, the reason I was chuckling there on the they want to secretly dress and drag is I think Koch and I will tell you after our careers in Republican politics that those are the most vehemently anti-gay. We're very suspicious of. Oh yeah, <laughs> writing's on her shirt. That is a hundred percent. Well, we've also grown a lot of expertise. I hate doing the both sides thing, but there's a lot of expertise out there now in nut fit, which is mm-hmm. basically finding the very worst example of something you can find and using that to describe everything else. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's lighten this up a little bit. We could probably move on to a couple of cocktails that we asked you to come up with just for fun. Two longtime institutions in Tennessee. We asked you to make the Al Gore and the Lamar Alexander. Why don't you take us through those cocktails? Okay. The Al Gore, or parentheses, Hanging Chad, it could be if you'd like. If you uh, it's, uh, <laughs> let's start with some blue curacao, and then we're going to add some white rum, maybe a bit of seaweed extract, some lime juice, a pinch of Himalayan salt. Let's serve it in a salt rim shot glass, like a real short shot glass. No ice necessary because it's served warm like our planet is becoming. <laughs> and then then what you're gonna do is you're gonna you're gonna empty the entire drink in the shot glass so it overflows all over the bar and the patron, just like our ocean rising. Thank you, Jeb. Thank you, George Jr. Thank you, Florida. <laughs> well done. That might be a Hall of Fame candidate. Full disclosure, I did work for Lamar Alexander. So as you describe this, you do not have to hold back because I got fixed skin. Go right ahead. The Lamar Alexander. Well, let's do it as a play on a brandy Alexander. Many, yes. many, many dashes of vanilla. Extra vanilla. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe some sour milk that's been left out all night. A dash of radiation with some old stale cognac from your old racist uncle's liquor cabinet. <laughs> that will make up the Lamar Alexander. Shaken? Shaken, not stirred, of course. <laughs> I might think about that. I don't think. Why not? Lamar, who famously, you know, again, he United States Senator for a long time from Tennessee, ran for president. His shtick was the walk. Walked across the state. Walk across yeah. the state. He walked across New Hampshire in 1996, I think, which is not a really long walk, to be honest. You know, that's no Tennessee. Narrow state. It's not like walking across Tennessee. So to serve this cocktail, you'd have to walk it to someone across the bar. Absolutely. Was he inspired by Forrest Gump's character? Was he then? He might have been the other way around. Oh, okay. Well, 96, I'm trying to think when Forrest Gump came out, but I think it might have been like 94. But either way, 
it's a walking cocktail and you might get walking pneumonia after you have this as well or something. I don't know. It's going to definitely <laughs> take away your immunities. That's for sure. I got to go look and see if I still have my red flannel shirt that Lamar popularized. On uh, another trademark. Yeah. 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 Before the Rick Santorum sweater vest, there was the Lamar pledge lumberjack. He was against wind and solar, wasn't he? Didn't he say the windmills were like eyesores or something? Well, I, yeah. it's interesting. As offshore wind continues to kill birds and now environmentalists are starting to oppose it, Lamar may have been ahead of his time. I'm <laughs> mad, mad friend. Marco, this has been great. This has been one of our longer dives, but we think your community was worthy of it, given what's going on right now. We appreciate your candor, your genuine reflections of what your community there at the Blue Room are living through right now. And our hope is that our listeners will be able to listen to this and take something away that they're not picking up by watching the cable news and listening to politicians talk about what it really feels like to be on the ground there in Nashville right now. Yeah, we have a really strong community here in Nashville, and it's only getting stronger. And uh, the kids are all right. I'll say that. Next time I'm in Nashville, I'm not headed to the Peabody. I'm coming straight to the Blue Room. <laughs> oh, I did the pretty cool hang. Absolutely. Marco, you've got another business you're involved with that we want you to tell us about real quick. Yeah, yeah. In addition to being at the Blue Room, my wife and I, Tracy Jean, we opened up Mirror Mirror out in Donaldson. So it's an indie venue. It's a clothing store. It's a record shop. We're having a good time. It's definitely a community space and open space, safe space. And we're selling vintage clothes, new clothes, records from all in and labels all around Tennessee, including Third Man. And then we have a 50 cat performance space. So we're having shows. We do Mondays live every Monday. And we've had some really good talent through there. It being a small space with limited seating, 50 is a sellout, you know? Oh, hi, cool. Some really cool shows are happening. I think we just had our 11th last night. And I'm talking R&B, soul, indie, rock and roll, jazz. And again, people from all over, locals, community, all coming under this roof to like listen to music. Not unlike the Blue Room, just like a, a small version of it out in Donaldson. And it's at Mirror Mirror Network on Instagram and Facebook. That sounds like a blast. It truly is. Yeah, the lounge is called the Liberace Lounge. It's all gold <laughs> and it's got candelabras. And what makes us also unique is we have a baby grand piano from the 1960s in our venue. So anybody playing piano is going to get to play an actual baby grand, not some like keyboard. Keep it real. Absolutely. Well, thank you guys for uh, hearing me out and listening. And it was really nice to chat with you all. Thanks for being open and honest with us and reflecting back what's going on in Nashville. We're honored. I'm honored that you asked me to be a part of it. I'm an artist. I'm a small business owner. But at the end of the day, I, I love people and the community. And I'm happy to be the voice if I can in, in any small way. You represented your community very well. Thank you. I appreciate the time. Well, look, Rob, that was, I think, our longest interview to date. And it was a, a great interview in a place where there is a lot happening. Emotions are high. It is a big conversation. It's not just taking place in Nashville, but it's taking place across the country. And I have to say, looking in on this artistic community around this bar and around this part of Nashville, which is a very bright blue place in a sea of red, I heard kind of what I thought I would hear, which is a lot of frustration, a lot of emotion. It feels to me like everybody wants a solution, wants an answer, but, but the emotions are running pretty high right now. So I, I kind of heard what I expected to hear out of it. What did you hear? 
I heard all that too. And as expected, this is probably the heaviest episode we've had to record yet. I thought Mark did a great job of you know reflecting back the art of the place where he's at there in the blue room and the aspirations of, of artists, you know, trying to make their way and create music. But at the same time, just the grief, you know, he used a word like disarray, which is just kind of heartbreaking. Again, doesn't surprise me. But when I asked him, you know, who is it that you see as someone that wants to unite or convene these conversations of both sides as our country is now in, convene conversations and unite all that. And he couldn't identify anyone. I think that's a microcosm in Tennessee of this larger problem across America. And I guess we're trying to do our small part to try to be a place where the conversations can happen. Yeah, that's well put, Rob. Listen, that's it for this episode. Listeners, thank you for giving Highball Politics a shot. That pun is intense. Hey, join us next week. We're going to pull up a bar stool somewhere else in this country to talk about why their community is politically and culturally relevant to what's going on in the United States. Until then, cheers and prayers for Nashville. Cheers, Rob. Highball Politics is a podcast presentation of Highball Media. Executive producers are David Kochel and me, Rob Stetsman. Our producer is Miranda Perrin. Please send your bartender nominations and any questions to highballpolitics at gmail.com. And find us on social media. We're at Highball Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And if you were brave enough to make this week's signature cocktail, please remember to tag your pics of this week's with the hashtag Highball Podcast. And if you want to support our show, please subscribe to Highball Politics wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star review. And please share this episode with your friends. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.